Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Backpage, welcome to Between the Lines, the podcast that tells the stories behind great sports writing. I'm Neil White, and with me today is my partner in Backpage, Martin Gregg. We're going to tell you about something new we've produced that you should be hearing very soon. I'm going to start with a currency I hold above almost any other, the podcast recommendation. The name of the show is Giant. It's created by Mundial Studios, and it's a Spotify original. That means that you'll need the Spotify app to hear Giant. But if you seek it out, you will not be disappointed. Each episode of Giant is a different football story, told brilliantly with multiple voices, a great music score, and wonderful use of archive audio. Martin, you and I have been fans of this podcast since episode one. Yeah, I remember the first episode dropping, and it was Ronaldo, a superhero origin story, the story of 17-year-old Brazilian Ronaldo and his year at PSV. We always love stuff like this when a storyteller puts a, a magnifying glass over a certain part of a sporting narrative. And that was just a great example. They spent a long time over in Eindhoven, building that story, talking to former teammates, talking to former managers, and building a a beautifully textured piece about this sporting phenomenon. Yeah, first-person testimony. You know, you mentioned former teammates, I think there was journalists, scouts. You felt like you were getting the story of Ronaldo's formative year in Europe from 360 degrees. And it went from strength to strength, that first series. These, These were podcasts that were varying from between 45 minutes and an hour in length. It gave the guys room to tell these stories. And then that kind of morphed in season two. That runtime has come down to between 20 and 25 minutes. So that means the guys have really got to tell those stories in a very lean, economical fashion. And that's the brief that Martin and I have taken on board when we produced an episode of Giant that you're going to be hearing on their feed very soon. Yeah, I think this idea of brevity really struck us we we talk about this all the time about how stories have a natural length to them and it's important to try and keep the focus tight and it was probably at that point when we heard the shorter format that we thought that this was something that we could work on potentially with Mundial so yeah we pitched them a couple of ideas and the one that they ran with was a story about Hart and Midlothian Football Club in 2006 who at that point were run by what can only be described as a megalomaniac uh, Lithuanian banker called Vladimir Romanov. And we wanted to tell, rather than tell the story of the entire Romanov regime, which was completely bonkers in parts, we decided to put that magnifying glass over one aspect of it, which was a very, very famous press conference, which in the episode we describe as potentially the most explosive press conference in British football history. So this press conference took place in October 2006, Romanov had been in charge at Hearts for about 18 months. They'd had a very successful season in 05-06, although turbulent. And now midway through this season 2006-2007, the megalomaniacal behaviour of the owner has pushed everybody in and around that football club to breaking point 
and there's a press conference at Hart's training facility just outside the city, in attendance, several journalists, one of whom, my friend Martin Gregg. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the reason why the Mundial boys wanted us to go for this story because, you know, the billing of the, the Giant series is a weekly podcast bringing you the football stories that matter, told by the people who were there. And there is no denying the fact that I was indeed there that day. Uh, I was a, a journalist based uh, mainly in the west of Scotland covering Celtic and Rangers. But that day, I had just decided to drive across country to Edinburgh and see what was going down at Hearts. There tended to always be something going down at Hearts. At that point, they had just sacked another manager and they had a caretaker manager an old Soviet coach who spoke no English. So I just thought, well, I'll go along for curiosity's sake. You never know. You never know what was going to happen at Hearts at that time. And I wasn't disappointed because it turned into this incredible press conference where these three personalities, led by Captain Stephen Presley, hijack the scheduled press conference and launch an attack on Vladimir Romanov. So the three players that walked through that door when Martin was expecting to see Eduardo Malofiev, the Russian coach of Hearts, were Stephen Presley. Craig Gordon and Paul Hartley. So when we started to put this story together for Giant, we had our shopping list. We knew that the story would be much, much better if we got Craig Gordon and Paul Hartley on the record. And we knew that we absolutely had to sit down in person with Stephen Presley. No Presley, no party. That was our motto. That's right. I mean, Presley is the central figure in this story. There's no denying that he took full ownership of every part of this narrative. And it was interesting, like, when you first contacted him, Neil, because that was reflected in his response. He very much put himself at the the centre of the story. Right, so this press conference is really famous in Scotland. Um, If you don't live in Scotland or have a connection with Scottish football, you might not even know very much about it at all. Up here it's known as the Rickton Three because there are three of them and the area of Edinburgh where Hearts train and where this press conference occurred is called Rickerton. So when I first got in touch with Stephen um, via WhatsApp, I told him that we were putting together an audio documentary about the Rickerton Three press conference. He got in touch straight away. He said that he would love to do it. But the first thing that we had to be aware of was that the Rickerton 3 was really the Rickerton 1. He wanted to make it clear to us that it was his idea and that among these three footballers who all took staggering direct action and, and not inconsiderable risk, he was first among equals, which was the more we found out about what happened a completely fair and reasonable position to take, as you'll hear when you listen to the story. So that was trip number one to Leamington Spa, which is where Stephen Presley now lives. Just as an aside, this was the first time since the beginning of the pandemic that Martin and I had been in the same place. So it was good to see him after about five months of uh, remote working. And down we went to Leamington Spa, met Stephen Presley, went out for an off-the-record, no-microphones cup of coffee for about half an hour before the interview began and Martin that was really valuable in the end yeah I think that was the value of driving all those miles down there was to to have that time with him where it's not on a zoom call you're looking him in the eye across the table he's telling you stuff that you can build into the context of the interview when the microphones went on and when the microphones did go on he was brilliant his recall was fantastic he added so much nuance to the story stuff that we really didn't know anything about 
And the thing that struck me was going back to his ownership of the story. You began to realise how much of an impact this has had, not just in Presley's career, but in Presley's life. My most memorable moment of the interview, you said to him, look, we're sitting in your kitchen in Leamington Spa, but if you hadn't taken this action years ago, your life could have ended up somewhere completely different. I was completely settled at Hearts. And I could see longevity for me at Hearts. I could see as well that I'd been promised a testimonial, all of these different things. So I had a kind of plan of my my life that might happen. But what I did there sacrificed all of that and changed the kind of pathway of my life. But I was prepared to do that because I stood up for what I believed was right. My whole pathway changed on the back of that. So Presley was like, we compare him in the story, we compare him to Tony Adams at Arsenal as a sort of um, touchstone for followers of English football primarily who, who maybe didn't see Stephen play. He was that kind of a captain on the pitch and he was that kind of a sort of figurehead within the club at large. And he was on a, he, he, he says as much in the story, he was on um, railway tracks that were going to take him probably through a decade of playing at the club, it was going to end up in a testimonial which he'd been promised. It's hard to imagine a footballer more earmarked for coaching and managerial roles than Stephen Presley as he approached his middle 30s. There's every chance that he would have ended up in the managerial team at Hearts once his playing days were done and as a future manager, probably never leaving Edinburgh. So this was the, the scenario that we, we put to him and he completely bought into it. And I'm sure it's something, I'm sure it wasn't a new concept for him. I'm sure he thinks back on that um, quite a lot anyway. I mean, me and you were both football journalists when Stephen Presley and the rest of these guys were playing at Hearts. We've both probably you know been in press conferences and spoken to him post-match a whole bunch of times, both when he was a manager and a player. So, you know, we knew that he was going to be uh, a serious guy in all the right ways. We knew that he was open. I was kind of surprised the degree to which he engaged emotionally when he was looking back on this stuff. I think that's what separates the character of Presley in this story from the other two who we'll go on to talk about. Presley was emotionally invested in this whole enterprise from the moment that the microphones went on in that room, in that press conference on that day. He was emotionally invested and took 100% ownership of that decision. It was interesting talking, going on to move move on to our second interviewee, who was Paul Hartley. Again, geographically in a completely different part of Britain. Um, I jumped in the car and drove to the northeast of Scotland to a place called Cove, where Paul Hartley is a manager of a very upwardly mobile Scottish football league club called Cove Rangers. I'd had some dealings with Paul before, and he's a great guy, really straight talker. But what came across from Paul that day was how not how vastly different he viewed it from from Stephen Presley, but Paul was quite a pragmatic guy and he saw that just as an interesting professional juncture in his career. It was something that happened but then he moved past and went on to have different experiences after that. It didn't define his life in the way that it did Stephen Presley and he was quite interested in talking about that and it's funny because we as Football writers, as football fans, we think about these guys and the image we have of them, sometimes captured in a moment in time. When I asked Paul to do what we call an ident, so you would say, at the end of the interview, you would say to somebody, right, can you introduce yourself and say who you are? So he was saying, hi, I'm Paul Hartley, and in 2006, I was a goal-scoring midfielder for Heart and Midlothian Football Club. 
So that was a line that he repeated back to me. And then as he did it, he sort of started laughing, kind of wryly, because he thought, yeah, a goal-scoring midfielder. And he went on to play the rest of his career in a different type of position. This was how I viewed him in this snapshot in my mind. But he's got a much fuller picture. He's got a different sense of his whole career. So in some ways it illustrated the difference between Presley, who was completely emotionally invested in this one event in his life and career, and then Paul Hartley, for whom it was just a small part of, and then he moved on to have completely different experiences. The third part of the puzzle was Craig Gordon, who um, at this moment in time remarkably is back at Hearts at the age of 35 in the second tier of Scottish football. God knows how. uh, He's still probably the best goalkeeper playing in Scotland. But there you are. Uh, I think he's just been recalled um, to the national team today as we record this. So I um, got to go through to Tynecastle Stadium, this new look Tynecastle Stadium, compared to when Craig was playing in his first iteration as a Hearts player. And Craig looked back to those formative years of his career. He was part of that press conference at the age of 23. Six months later, he was on his way to Sunderland as Britain's most expensive ever goalkeeper at £9 million. And from this vantage point, he could find, I think, a place between Hartley and Gordon. Hearts are and always have been his club. So he shared that kind of um, emotional connection to the story that Stephen has. At the same time, I think everybody knew that Craig Gordon in 2006 was destined for bigger and better things. I think it was a really important interview to get Craig Gordon, not least because he is now back at Hearts and he started his career as the kind of generational talent of that club and then leaves in the aftermath of this press conference and now he's back there, back at Tynecastle Park, back in the new stands and that's where you interviewed him and so I like to think of the geography of the of the, the podcast pinging around Britain. So we're Leamington Spa, then we're up in the northeast of Scotland, and then we're in the heartlands of Scotland speaking to this, this generational talent who's come back to his spiritual home. Yeah, it was great. And because we only had that very limited time to tell the story, we didn't really go into Craig's return to hearts or indeed the change in ownership model too much from this kind of madcap, waste criminal era under Vladimir Romanov through administration and demotion to this new um, fan ownership model that they have or they're on their way to having right now. Um, Craig Gordon had never been in the the restaurant at the top of the new stand in Tynecastle until he emerged through the doors to speak to me and he was as curious about the, um, the glass front that overlooks the beautiful city of Edinburgh as I was. It was quite something. So we had our three guys. We had the the three guys that were part of that press conference you were at. But we wanted some uh, different perspectives, right? We wanted to hear from a fan. And we also wanted somebody else who was working at that press conference. For the press conference attendee, we thought there was one great contender who was a guy called Mark Donaldson. So in 2006, he was the sports editor at Radio 4th. So his job was to cover the beat, hearts and hibs. Every single day. He hearts at his team. Today, he works for ESPN in the States. And when we spoke about this story, he was actually in the bubble at the US Open Tennis. So we had to catch him early in the morning. I think Mark enjoyed reflecting back on this time in his career. But we had to make sure it got done before he was heading out to Flushing Meadows for the day. It's interesting when you have this passage of time between an event and then reflecting back on it. 
you see where people's lives are and the different directions it's taken them and it was great to hear from Mark but for, from the fan perspective we wanted to get somebody who was really invested in the whole process at the time was watching the team was living the experience was enduring the lows and enjoying the highs and it actually came from a little bit of music that you sent me Neil because you dug out the we, we were talking about the the tune that they play at Tyne Castle Park before Hearts came out which is an old kind of music hall number and it's I think it's just called the Heart Song, but you had found this version by a brilliant band called Frightened Rabbit. I'm actually a big fan of Frightened Rabbit, so you'd sent me the version, and then I did a little bit of digging, and I found out that Grant Hutchison from the band Frightened Rabbit is a big Hearts fan in the band. So I set about contacting Grant, and then when I managed to sit him down and have this conversation, I wasn't disappointed. He lived that so intensely. You could almost hear the pain in his voice about how much of a missed opportunity it was that they had the money, they had the players, but but they wasted it. It was great to get his voice into the podcast as well. That's a giant signature. I don't know if it was just me and you whether we would have really gone for a, a fan voice, but it's something that giant do frequently, and I do think it lifts these stories. So we had all our components, um, and then it was just a case with a 21, 22-minute runtime of choosing like what to tell and what not to tell. Yeah, I think that was a big challenge. This, the first season of Giant, these episodes were coming in about 45 to 60 minutes. But as we said before, the second season was shorter stories and it really, really had to focus our mind. And that's something we talk about a lot with any stuff that we produce is brevity, is making sure you get to the heart of the story. I just want to name check um, a journalist called Kevin McCara, who sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago. I talk about this often, but when I was a young journalist, Kevin McCara once said to me that no story should be longer than 850 words and it was a great lesson because what he was saying there is like don't indulge yourself in aspects of the story that aren't important get to the heart of the matter and I think that shorter runtime was very very challenging for us but it forced us to to think deeply about what was at the very heart of the story it was difficult wasn't it it was really difficult I mean we had to close off some cul-de-sacs that we didn't allow ourselves to go down despite the fact that there were great stories down there. You know, there are really great offshoots to this story. And it even has a really broad base. You know, Romanov comes to Hearts 18 months before that press conference. And he's there for a number of years afterwards until an eventual collapse of not only Hearts, but the various financial institutions that Romanov either owns or runs. On the runtime, you know, I think Kevin McCarra's um, fantastic advice to a, a plucky young sports writer can be applied to podcasting in 2020, to be honest. When we started um, five or six years ago talking about getting into podcasting, one of the appeals was the fact that you had this blank canvas that you could work on. And if you wanted to run an interview for an hour and make it conversational and you know have a very light editorial touch on it, then this was the, the space that you could you could use that kind of approach in. But right now, if I see something with a runtime that starts with a two, like 29 minutes, 27 minutes, I'm more likely to engage with with something like that. And I think... I agree. I think it reflects something of an evolution in audio story storytelling that when podcasts first exploded you had this quite sprawling episodic storytelling but I think now the challenge is to be more focused and be more content rich and I think that's why Giant works so well. So... Do I think it's worth 21 minutes of your day today? I certainly do, and I really hope you seek it out. We'll put it in the show notes to this episode. Thank you to everyone who was involved in the episode, and thank you to you for listening. Mm-hmm.